All right, this is lesson six on the gift of tongues, and uh, I call this lesson the two manifestations of tongues, and I've been talking about this, that we would come to this lesson where we would actually define and look at the fact that there is a tongues that demands interpretation, absolutely, but then there is also a tongues that the Bible is very clear on, you don't have to have the interpretation on, and we have to be able to see that from the word, we can't just say it like we've been building and establishing all along now, every doctrine that we believe as Christians must be based on two or three scriptures. We don't, we don't build doctrine just on one phantom verse. We don't build doctrine on grandma's doctrine. We don't build doctrine on papa's doctrine. We don't build doctrine on the co-worker's doctrine. We build doctrine based on the Bible. And as the Bible says twice in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, and three times in the New Testament, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. So the emphasis of this lesson is looking at and comparing and proving that there are two types of tongues, two manifestations. Just like the very first lesson, we looked at the three different manifestations, excuse me, the three baptisms of the New Testament. And if the baptism, excuse me, if the New Testament Hebrew 6 talks about the doctrine of baptisms, plural, then we have to start to look for more than one baptism in the New Testament. And when you actually break it down, there's actually four baptisms in the New Testament. One of them doesn't apply to us. That's John's baptism, what Paul called the, uh, John's baptism or the baptism of repentance. But then there's three more that apply to us. We understand everybody knows the water baptism. Hallelujah. Thank you for water baptism. But even being born again, Paul calls that being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then, of course, what we're covering this whole lesson for these two months is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which there's about 15 verses that speak of there about. So we want to look at now the two manifestations of tongues, and we're going to prove this with lots and lots of scriptures. Remember, there's over 100 verses that deal with speaking in tongues and the manifestation of tongues. With 110 verses, you can build a pretty good doctrine. Sure beats uh, some of these other doctrines that we cling to so tightly that only have maybe five or ten verses. And thank God you can build a doctrine of five or ten. But if there's over 100 verses on tongues, I don't know why every Christian doesn't speak in tongues or at least look for it. Amen. A friend of mine is an undercover tongue-talking denominational pastor, and he told the story of going to one of the big conferences of his denomination, and um, he had all the pastors and the bigwigs there, and the first speaker gets up to speak, and everybody's excited. It's their big denominational conference, and he turns to 1 Corinthians, and he says, let's read this verse, and it says, forbid not to speak with tongues. And it's so upset, he said about, I don't know, 30, 40 people got up and walked out of the conference. He said, um, I didn't say that was my text. I just said, let's read a Bible verse together. He said, it's a shame some of you preachers are offended at reading a Bible verse. Now, what I really want to preach on is this. And they went to another passage. See how, how the devil has Christians trained that they get offended at reading a New Testament verse right after 1 Corinthians 13, love. So that lets you know how powerful this thing of tongues is, is that people get offended just by reading a verse that talks about it. And that's why we need to understand it. Of course, I think most of us here are tongue talkers. And so, you know, we don't have anything against it. We do it. We're guilty. But what I want us to understand is why we believe what we believe. And then be able to have that in your heart should somebody else ask you the reason of your hope. When I, was got, when I got hungrier for more of God and I said, Lord, I'm hungrier for more of you. I want more of you. All of a sudden, all these tongue talking Christians ended up in my life. You think that was a coincidence? And it was amazing. They, back, and that was 20 years ago, they all knew the Bible verses. And I, I'm almost concerned that today Christians who do speak in tongues, not just that doctrine, but Christians today don't know the Bible very well because everything they study is on an app. Yeah. 
or it's just a preaching sermon from a podcast, and I'm all for apps and podcasts, but you gotta know the Bible for yourself. Just, just to be very clear, when we get to heaven, I don't think the Bible's gonna be on a notepad or an iPad. I think we get to heaven, it's still on scrolls. Because God's eternal, and he's always had scrolls in heaven. So it'd be good to actually know what paper feels like. In fact, the Bible says God writes with his finger. It doesn't say he types with his thumbs. Just my personal opinion. <laughs> All right, let's get into this lesson. It is evident from multiple Bible passages demonstrating the use of tongues that the gift of tongues has a place in personal usage, Romans 8, Jude 20, and is not simply limited to public worship services, 1 Corinthians 14. This lesson will examine the differences between tongues for personal edification and tongues for public edification. And that is what the difference is. There is a tongues for personal edification. And if that's the case, it's none of your business. And then there is a tongues for public edification. And if that's the case, we better have an interpretation. But what I want to do is prove the differences with multiple, multiple scriptures. And I want to find this horse. I want to beat this horse till it's dead. Then I want to beat the dead horse just to drive home the fact. Amen? So here's a most obvious observation. It should be obvious to any student of the word that Paul's instructions for the proper use of the gift of tongues, as laid out in 1 Corinthians 14, were not at all followed by Peter or Paul in the book of Acts. Think about that. Paul's instructions for how tongues should operate in a local church service were never followed by Peter or Paul in the entire book of Acts. So are they hypocrites? Are they exempt from their own preaching? Hey, remember, it was Peter that said the husband must be first partaker of his own fruits. Actually, that's James. You've got to be partaker of your own fruit. If you're going to preach it, you better produce it first. So as Peter and Paul, are they liars? Are they hypocrites? Are they breaking their own rules because it was just too inconvenient to stop and have an interpretation? Or is there something else going on? I think there's something else going on. These three instructions are very clear and are as follows. Here is Paul's three instructions for tongues in a public church service. Number one, only two or at most three can speak in tongues during a service. All right, two or at most three. And it should be one at a time. We could probably make two out of the two rules out of that. Two or at most three utterances and one at a time. All right, number two, someone must interpret the tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. Number three, if there be no interpreter, the individual must remain silent in the service, the tongue talker. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. So those are his three rules, very simple, for how in tongues and interpretation of tongues has to work in a public, public, public church service. These three simple rules are not followed once in the entire book of Acts. In fact, every instance of tongues in the book of Acts violates all three of these rules at once. Let us look at how these events failed Paul's guidelines for the proper use of tongues in a church service. So here's where I'm going to set you up and then you think you're going to nosedive into the water and then we'll pull you out at the very last bit to show you what's going on. And I think we already know where this is going because we've operated in tongues and interpretations of tongues in this church for 32 years now. And I, I just love it when Christians say, well, tongues are done away with. Well, then you go to the wrong church. We never see tongues in our church. Well, you may want to talk to the Holy Spirit about that or the guy who controls the Holy Spirit, which should be Jesus, but in most cases, it's the pastor. The Bible says we must be careful not to grieve the Spirit, 
quench the spirit or frustrate the spirit. And pastors are good at doing all three. I'm good at it. Don't mean to be. I try not to. But if I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to do more and I still quench, grieve, and frustrate from time to time, you better believe folks that deny the Holy Ghost, they're just kicking him in the face nearly every time he's wanting to do something. All right. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Here we have the first church service of the church age. So we're establishing it's a church service. Would everybody agree Acts 2 is a church service? Yeah. They're gathered in one name, one accord, the name of Jesus. They're waiting on Jesus. They're obeying Jesus and they're praying. Sounds like a church service. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. Wait a minute. Paul called for only two at most or three to speak with tongues. But here it says all, 120 spoke with tongues. Well, you guys are violating doctrine. And it was God's fault. The service saw 120 tongue talkers all at once and it made such a noise all the devout Jews that were in Israel at the time for the Feast of Pentecost following Passover, they ran to this room. They ran to this house because they could hear this noise, this commotion. God's breaking his own doctrine here because it's the Holy Ghost that caused them to all speak in tongues and it was a sign and a wonder and it drew everybody to see what God was doing. This was 120 people speaking in tongues simultaneously. Paul called for tongues to be given one at a time in a church service. 120 though, what a commotion, what a ruckus. What, what, uh, what a confusion. But when the guys, when the people came, they weren't confused. They, they were, the whole, the whole city that came to hear, they weren't confused at all. They said, how is it these are Galileans, which means unlearned, and yet we all hear in our own tongue the wonders of God declared. A good religious person would have called it confusion, but these religious devout Jews didn't call it confusion. They called it wondrous. So we see that even on the day of Pentecost, they're violating what Paul later taught in 1 Corinthians 14 for the rules of tongues and interpretation. But see, there's got to be something else going on here because God doesn't contradict himself. Our fourth point, no interpretation was given. There was not one single example of interpretation in the all 120 tongue talkers in the upper room. So again, here's our third rule. Of the three rules Paul gives for tongues and interpretation in a service, the day of Pentecost breaks all three simultaneously. So something else must be going on here. Paul called for an interpretation or else the speaker must be silent in the service. Well, he had trouble getting all those guys to be quiet because it was Pentecost. So what's our conclusion on this? Well, the conclusion's easy. Either God gave the early church a pass on protocol due to their ignorance, or this is a different manifestation of tongues from the manifestation Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 27 and 28. Either Paul gives, uh, the Lord gives them a pass because of their ignorance, or this is something else. We know it's something else because we're tongue talkers. But it's a good example to show you that not every tongue has to be interpreted. And again, we're teaching this because I believe in these days people are going to be hungry again for the Holy Ghost and they're going to have that hang-up, that religious hang-up that says, well, if there's a tongue, there has to be an interpretation. Or I think it's been done away with. And we've already spent three services debunking five bad tongues doctrines. We need to understand these truths so we can explain them. And also to give people no excuse to avoid the Holy Ghost. If you can prove from the scriptures over and over again, this is for today, this is for you, you'll actually find folks getting baptized in the Holy Ghost again. Uh, for me, I had to have everything explained to me because I have too much of a cerebral brain. Some folks, though, they just take God at his word. 
And unfortunately, as, as Jesus said through Paul, not many wise, not, really, not too many smarty pants are called. As I like to say, you can't dissect the cosmos with that dull spoon of a brain you've got, much less God. All right, our second example of Christians breaking every one of Paul's rules for interpretation is found in Acts chapter 10. This is Cornelius' household. This is a church service, right? They've come together to hear Peter preach the gospel. This would be an in-house evangelistic crusade. We know there's probably more than 40 or 50 people here because Cornelius was a wealthy man and he brought together his whole family and all of his friends and his household, which means his servants. We don't know, but this could be one to 200 people. How many, how many slaves or servants and family members does a wealthy man in Palestine have or Jerusalem, Israel? A lot. This is a church service. P- Peter is preaching the gospel to a household, a large gathering of people. When the Bible says large, he doesn't mean a large country church. We're talking a large gathering. And the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's message and fell upon all those that were present. So a large gathering, maybe 100 people, maybe 200 people. It's not a multitude, but it is a large gathering. And the Holy Ghost interrupts what the Holy Ghost is doing. The Holy Ghost has Peter preaching, and then the Holy Ghost says, all right, you're done. I'm switching things up now. And the Bible says, and as Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them that were present. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Notice they, they heard them speak with tongues. Well, again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, two at most three. We got a whole household of tongue talkers going all at, all at once. And this is Peter, the great apostle, the, uh, the rock upon uh, which the Lord, well, not he didn't build a church upon Peter, but the revelation that Peter got. This is Peter, the chief apostle. And yet they're all speaking in tongues all at once. And Peter never once stops and says, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, since you guys got it, it's time to talk about interpretation. He didn't stop it. He stepped back and said, this is the Holy Ghost. Let him do what he's doing. In fact, what Peter did do is he turned to those folks and said, uh, wow, didn't see that coming. Can any of us forbid these guys get water baptized in the name of our Savior, seeing as how God gave him the Holy Ghost like on us in the beginning? He just let him keep speaking in tongues. And he pulls back with the Jews or the Jerusalem Christians that travel with him and said, I guess, I guess we got to get him water baptized now. He didn't interrupt him and he didn't demand an interpretation. But if you were to take any good denominational Christian and drop them off in Cornelius' household, they'd run out of there scared and terrified. There's no interpretation here. There's no interpretation here. It's chaotic in there. This is confusion. The only person confused in that meeting would be you. Peter wasn't freaking out. The Gentiles weren't freaking out. It doesn't appear Cornelius' household was freaking out. But it says, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. But Paul called for only two or at most three speakers. Paul called for tongues to be given one at a time in the church service. This service saw everyone present, a large gathering of people speaking in tongues simultaneously, and Peter never stopped them. And our final point, no interpretation was given. Do you, you ever see him stop and ask Peter say, well, let me give the interpretation now? No. But Paul called their hat for an interpretation if it was tongues in a public service. We have tongues here, we have a public service, but we see all three of Paul's rules being broken. So either Peter is an idiot and lazy, or there's something else going on here other than one of the nine gifts of the Spirit that demands an interpretation. 
So what's our conclusion? Either God gave these Gentiles a pass due to their ignorance and Peter's need to see that the Gentiles could be accepted by God, or this is a different manifestation of tongues than the manifestation Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. Now, again, we, we have interpretation of tongues around here, and, and when, when you operate in the gifts, you can tell by the Spirit of God there's a shift, there's a difference when you say, all right, honestly, just... You can tell when the anointing for the gifts of the Spirit comes on you. You can feel it. And you know, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm about to give a tongue that's going to have to be interpreted. Or I'm about to sing in tongues and the worship teams better get, better get the interpretation. There's just a difference. You can feel it. But what we need to understand is that, that there's some things we, just, we have to just flow with and trust God and not, not be so freaked out about. I want to point out that interpretation of tongues is only spoken of once in the entire Bible. Actually, I'm sorry, twice. 1 Corinthians 12, the interpretation of tongues, which is a gift of the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 14. It's only spoken of twice. Out of our 110 plus verses on tongues, interpretation is only dealt with twice. But personal edification by the gift of tongues is spoken of numerous times. And it lets you know that there'll probably be a greater manifestation of tongues just to edify yourself than there will be the necessitation of interpretation in a public service. Just by simple ratio and, and emphasis, we see that God is emphasizing tongues for the personal believer's edification way more than he is tongues for the church's edification. And I think we can understand that as tongue talkers, we pray in tongues in our private life a thousand to one over the interpretation of tongues we see in a public service. And that's how it should be. Just like you should be praying in English at home way more than you pray in English at church because you spend more time at home than you do in church. All right, we see that? Let's look at Acts 19. The Ephesians disciples. This is a church service. We got 12 folks there meeting in Jesus' name. Peter's teach, excuse me, Paul is having a conference on baptisms. The whole conversation is baptisms. He starts off, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We didn't know there was a Holy Ghost. What were you baptized to? John's baptism. All right, well, here's the deal with John's baptism. And he says, and when that happened, he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he laid his hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues and prophesied. So it's a whole baptismal conference. And you see all through, actually all four baptisms discussed in that passage. John's baptism, the baptism uh, in the name of Jesus and water, the baptism into the body of Christ and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is a church service. Paul is teaching 12 disciples about the doctrine of baptisms according to Hebrews 6. Paul laid his hands on all 12 men and all 12 men to begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Wait a minute, all 12 simultaneously? Uh, but Paul called for only two or at most three speakers. Paul never corrected them. He never said, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, since you guys got it, that was easy. Let's move on to stage two, which is, okay, only two or three at most. And, and so... Um, uh, all right, you two, uh, get in the line over here, and uh, we'll get you the microphone. And the rest of you just pipe down, because this is totally out of order. Chaos here, just confusion. And you need to know God's not the author of confusion. Paul didn't do any of that. They all spoke in tongues and prophesied, because God was moving. Paul never corrected them, though this is his doctrine. Paul called for tongues to be given one at a time in a church service. This service saw all 12 men simultaneously speaking in tongues. Paul never corrected them over that. No interpretation was given. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, 28 calls for an interpretation or else the speaker must be silent in the service. Paul never shut them down either. Paul was already correcting these disciples' understanding on John's baptism, the Lord's baptism, and the Holy Spirit's baptism. Why would he not further correct how they handled the gift of tongues? The whole meeting was correction. It, was doc it, wasn't, it wasn't rebuke. It was, there's a big difference between rebuke 
and correction. We fear correction because we think it's a rebuke. Most of us as Christians who love God, we're terrified of correction because we're terrified of being wrong. If you're terrified of being wrong, you'll live in fear the rest of your life. Because right now all of us are wrong in some area of our life. But we don't mean to be, so we should rejoice when correction comes. Correction is a big different, it's big, it's totally different from rebuke. Rebuke is you're wrong and you don't want to be right, so you have to be rebuked. Or you're wrong and you insist on being wrong and so you have to be thumped. This is just a correction service. He's correcting all their understanding. He's tweaking their understanding. Why would he not take it a step further and correct tongues if they were wrong on tongues? They'd never even heard about the Holy Ghost. They didn't even understand the Lord's baptism. He's already dealing with all of that. Why would he not address this too? He doesn't. He leaves it alone. So there must be a reason for it. We understand. And the point we're proving is that there are two manifestations of tongues. One for the personal edification of the believer, one for the edification of the local church, and the one for the edification of the local church must be interpreted. But I I do scratch my head, and it kind of irks me as a Bible teacher that there isn't a single example of interpretation of tongues in the book of Acts. Now, we believe in it. We do it. I've seen it. I've seen it done wrong. I've seen it done right. I've seen it be brilliant. In, in our church, there seems to be an anointing. Many times when we have an interpretation of tongues, it'll be five or ten minutes, and it'll all rhyme. And that's happened in this church for years. And the fact that we've received scores and scores and scores of Holy Ghost songs with the worship team and Ginger and the singers get the interpretation of a song, tongue sung, uh, we understand how to do this. And as I always like to point out, it's always the folks that have never experienced tongues that want to claim they're the expert on it. And that's just foolishness to me. It's like trying to teach a conference on world missions when you've never left your street. I'm not going to listen to you. I'll listen to the Bible, and you might be able to pull a full few things out of the Bible, but some things have to get out there and be demonstrated. And so some of the biggest mouths or mouthpieces against tongues, they've never seen it done. So what qualifies them to be an expert witness on tongues. If it were to happen in the church, they'd shut it down. But the Bible says very clearly, forbid not to speak in tongues. So uh, unfortunately, if you don't believe in tongues, you should just be quiet about it. If you've never experienced it, you should just be quiet about it and be honest about it and just say, I know nothing about this subject. Any good Bible teacher, any good preacher will tell you, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. Uh, I know nothing about this subject. I'm very strong on this subject. And we ought to just be real about it and humble. But oftentimes we try to speak of things we know not of. Or as Galatians says, vainly speaking of or entering into things they don't understand. Just leave it alone. Or like Mr. Rick Newman, the whole reason he came to our church 20-something years ago, he moved here from Texas because he visited this church. And Pastor Vaughn, this was 25 years ago, happened to be teaching on tongues. And, And Rick said, I've been a Baptist all my life. And I never even knew these verses were in the Bible. You mean there's more in the Bible than what I'm being taught? So he went back home to his pastor, and not not to pick on Baptists, because I was raised Baptist. But he said, sir, I was just at a church in Tennessee, and we covered all these verses. Uh, How come you don't ever teach those verses? And he said, well, son, we don't talk about those things we don't know anything about. At least he was honest. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to teach on it. Great. Well, Mr. Rick said, well, that guy up there apparently does, so I'm moving there to learn more. And that's what Mr. Rick did, left everything in Texas to come to this church 20-plus years ago to be around somebody who knew more about God. And again, I'm reminded, when, when I was 18 years old and I rededicated my life to Christ, being a backslidden Baptist kid with a severe attitude, making, actually I used to mock the, the BSU because the first two letters of the BSU made for a really good, dirty acronym, and that's what I always called it. 
over here at Tech. I'd be an attitude, made fun of Christians. And then I realized I was just plain miserable. So I stopped making fun of Christians and gave my heart back to Christ and started serving them. And then, then I don't ever do anything halfway. So I said, well, if I'm going to serve God, let's get after it and quit being some lukewarm little Sunday morning Christian. And I got hungry for God. And I said, Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. There's got to be more of you than I've even experienced in Mexico on mission trips. And all of a sudden, tongue-talking Christians start being drawn to me. And all they do is talk about this thing called the Holy Ghost. And all I'm saying is, Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. And they'd say, Holy Ghost. Well, Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. And they'd say, Holy Ghost. And that's what was brought to my life when I said, Lord, I want a good Holy Ghost. Or good, I didn't say the term the Holy Ghost because, you know, being raised denominational, you don't talk about the Holy Ghost. I don't know what you talk about. I don't remember those days. But all, <laughs> I was backslidden. But that's what they began to talk to me about. And it was an answer to my prayer. I'm hungry for more of God. The answer was, you shall receive power from on high. Think about that. Paul, uh, the Lord Jesus told his 12 apostles, well, 11 and 12, Matthias was in waiting. He said, don't go anywhere. You've been with me three and a half years. You've healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils, preached this gospel. You've seen me raised from the dead, but you still don't have what it takes. So don't go anywhere till you receive power from on high. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So they waited around for about another 40 days and they got tongues, which is not the Holy Ghost, but if you got the Holy Ghost, tongues tends to come out a lot. Amen. All right, let's keep reading here. Conclusion. Either God gave the Ephesians a pass because they were only freshly water baptized, or this is an example of a different manifestation of tongues from the manifestation Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. Again, we, we are, we're building doctrine out of a pattern here. We build doctrines out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. You can build doctrines out of patterns. Uh, like throughout the Old Testament, if God is always killing uh, fornicators or adulterers, you kind of get the picture. God doesn't like that stuff. If you see people over and over again cry out to God and God answers them, you kind of build a pattern. God answers prayer. If God judges somebody and throughout the Bible you see a pattern of them repenting and God turning judgment, you can build a doctrine that God turns judgment when you repent. Some of our doctrine we build because we see God doing the same thing in the same example over and over again. It really becomes just a scientific observation if you'll study your Bible. So here we see a pattern repeated three times in the book of Acts. People get baptized in the Holy Ghost and the whole lot of them all at once speak in tongues, all at once, and there's never an interpretation and there's never a rebuke and there's never a pipe down, pipe down now. In fact, you always see the guy doing it, step back and just kind of let God do his thing. Amen. And as I like to point out, those churches and preachers that say, well, it's confusion. We can't have it. It's confusion. Well, since when were you into controlling confusion in your church? You got the dirty deacons running your ministry. You got the Jezebel whispering in your ear. You got sin on the worship team or in the choir. You're not cleaning that up. Why would you quench the Holy Ghost in the name of confusion? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's foolish hypocrisy. I mean, on top of that, there's confusion every service, even when there is no tongues. What about the children in the children's church? What about the nipping and the gossiping that goes on with the ladies in the bathroom? What about the pornography running through the minds of the deacons and the ushers? That's confusion. Uh, if you're really all that anti-confusion, start there cleaning up sin. Amen. Brother Summerall would say, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire, because at least wildfire can be taught. You can't steer a parked car, so you give it a good push, see where God wants to lead it. Acts, uh, excuse me, a closer look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20. So now let's look at interpretation. 
A closer look at this famous passage of Scripture will reveal that the Holy Spirit, through Paul's writings, did in fact allow for tongues and a church service without an interpreter. Look at the verse very closely. But if there be no interpreter, and sometimes there be no interpreter, or in our parlay, our lingo, we say, anybody got that? Anybody got the interpretation of that? No? Well, we better find the interpretation. Sometimes the Lord will give it to the pastor. Usually I can find it if nobody has the interpretation. But if there be no interpreter in a service, let that individual who wants to pray in tongues and deliver a word, let them keep silence in the church. You know, you can have something from God, but that doesn't mean you have to give it out. And it may not even be for that service. And sometimes, well, every time you as a Christian, you need to judge that what the Lord's telling you is even for that service. Maybe it's just for you. And it's been my experience. I think most folks who, who navigate Pentecostal services, they'll, they'll testify that if the Spirit of God is saying something for, to the people, four or five folks will hear the same thing because we're all spiritual. And we're all picking up what the Holy Ghost is saying. And so, you know, Roy might have something. Jeff might have something. Mr. Rick have something. And Miss uh, Valerie will have something. And it's all the same thing. And four of them are terrified to stand up and say it because they've just never done it. And so we might say, has somebody got something? Anybody. You think you got something. It's a time to learn. The Bible says, prophesy one by one that all may learn. Anybody got something? And usually I've got it too. But, you know, the pastor doesn't have to do it all. Somebody will feebly raise a hand. Well, come on up here. Let's do this properly and in order. Let me get you a microphone so everybody can hear it. And just take your time there. And so that's how it works sometimes. You're, you're convinced you got something. Maybe you're terrified that you do and you don't want to give it out. You're probably not the only one that has it. And so we can all learn one by one. And even you might have a part and it's one big choo-choo train that the Lord's wanting to say and you've got the caboose and somebody's got the locomotive and two other people have the train the cars in between and we put it all together through tongues interpretation of tongues and prophecy and we we paint this beautiful message of what the lord is saying to us in this service and it usually lines up with whatever just got preached or whatever's about to be preached because it's the same spirit speaking all in all so you know if i get up and preach on evangelism he's not going to have you prophesy about egypt unless it is to go win the lost in egypt you know, and I think we see that the Lord's not schizophrenic. We're, this isn't Tron where God's directions are 90 degree turns on the light bike. You know, these things nice, they flow beautifully. All right. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself. Speak to himself. Speak, not think. Speak. So what happens when you speak? Is it audible? Even a whisper. Isn't a whisper audible? Some of you, your whispers are way more than audible. You need to work on your whisper. Or maybe it just when I preach, I have very acute senses. I could tell you usually what you're whispering about. I just want to stop and say, shut up, please. I'm the one with the microphone. <laughs> if you're speaking, you can be heard. Right? And it says, let him speak to God. Do you know prayer is speaking to God? He hears your heart. He hears your thoughts. But prayer, by definition, in both the Hebrew language and the Greek language, is an oration. Prayer is spoken. I was raised denominationally, and we, my denomination pioneered the unspoken request. It's not biblical. It's a polite way of saying I'm backslidden. I have an unspoken request. Well, if you quit sleeping with her, you wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> anyway, how can I agree with you if I don't know what it is? So speak to yourself and to God. If there be no interpreter, the person should be quiet in the service by not addressing the church, but he is still afforded the right to continue speaking to, two, uh, speaking to himself to, or to two other people, himself and God. 
So, you know, we, when we pray around here, even in English, we can all be heard, right? Yes. Hallelujah, we love you, Lord. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Lord, but you're not addressing the church, but you can still be heard. Because that's one of the biggest hang-ups when folks come into spirit-filled churches. Everybody there was speaking in tongues, and there was no interpretation. It was total chaos. What's the difference between that and English? You shouldn't be minding your own business anyway. You're allowed, you're still afforded by Paul, even if there's no interpretation, you're still allowed to pray to yourself and to God, whether it's English or tongues. The first part of 1 Corinthians clearly teaches that speaking in tongues is considered to be speaking to yourself and speaking to God. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mystery. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So there again, we're seeing the difference between the tongues that requires an edification, excuse me, an interpretation for the edifying of the local service. And then there's the tongues that just builds yourself up. It talks directly to God. It builds yourself up. We're seeing this thing spelled out over and over and over again. Now again, some of you don't even care about this because you just pray in tongues and you just don't care. But some of you are more in the trenches of debating and arguing with folks. And there is a biblical place to debate and argue. We wouldn't say maybe argue like fistfight argue, but dispute as Paul was weekly in the synagogues disputing with the Jews that this was the very Christ. He took them to task with the word of God. Some of you are more into that. And that's why we teach this. Others of you, you, you don't, you'll never know another scripture about tongues your whole life. You don't care. You just pray in tongues. But others of you, you're more kind of out there evangelizing along these lines, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ realize there's more to the Holy Spirit than just the day you got saved. He wants to do a continuous work in your life. And this is one of the ways he does it. So we see from 1 Corinthians 14.2 and 1 Corinthians 14.4 that praying in tongues is to God and to yourself exactly what you can do if there's no interpretation in a service. You can pray to yourself and to God. That's why we have biblical permission for all of us to just pray. See, that doesn't need an interpretation, though I might, because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm building myself up. You just happen to hear it. Quit being so nosy. Who you're edifying makes the distinction, and this is the key. This is the, the critical delimiter here. One of the goals of every church service is to edify those that are present. That's why we come to church. One of the many reasons we come to church, to be edified, to be built up, not to be torn down, but to be fixed, to be helped, to be edified. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 in the NIV. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. He said, you're eager of spiritual things. The, the Greek says spiritual things, not spiritual gifts, but spiritual things. And Paul goes on to add, see that you excel in those gifts that edify or build up the church. In our Pentecostal circles, though, unfortunately, we do hijack them and pervert them. We use the gifts to try to build ourselves up in the eyes of people rather than to build the people up in the eyes of God. So we get showboaty with it. And I've been in all, every flavor of Pentecostal circle, and they all have their own flavor of doing tongues and interpretation. And all of them have an element of look at me, look at me, look at me. And thank God they're still flowing in the gifts other than some of these churches that put the Holy Ghost in the back room duct taped to a pole. But there still is this showmanship that we need to get away from, that we excel to edify and not try to draw people. Anytime you're using the gifts, you have to be very careful you don't develop a God complex because if you're used in the gifts, somebody's going to think you're spiritual. And they're going to be drawn to you to become their new Jesus. 
They don't mean to be that way. We don't want it to be that way, but it always, always works that way. So you have to always point the people to Jesus. And realize that just because you are using the gifts, it really just means you're on the same level as Balaam's donkey. You're God's mule. Because that mule was used more in the gifts of the Spirit than most Americans will ever be. He saw an angel. That's discerning of spirits. He talked about his relationship in the past with the prophet. That's word of knowledge. He spoke with tongues and then he interpreted. Because <laughs> donkeys don't speak whatever the language this lying prophet was speaking. Balaam was not a Jew. He was from over there in Mesopotamia. Anyway, let's keep reading here. We've got to finish up. Are you learning anything this morning? Yes, sir. This is Bible study time. I miss the day. I miss the Word of Faith revival where it was all about the Word, the Word, the Word. And you'd study the Bible for four hours at a time and you could sit in two hours of teaching and you just take 15 pages of notes. And that's kind of dried up and it, it wasn't God's will. We just kind of dried it up because what's new? Uh, give me something other than this light manna that my soul doth loathe. But unless you exalt the Word, the Holy Spirit can't move. You know, and now, of course, we know in this generation we're being taught to keep the messages to 25 and 30 minutes because Americans don't have an attention span longer than that. Since when? Football games are three hours. Movies are two and a half hours. How much time do you spend on Facebook every day? Reading nothing. So we got to get our hunger back. Stop being bored with God. One overlooked, little overlooked verse serves to differentiate the two types of tongues the Holy Spirit desires to manifest in the believer's life today. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. This is that verse. I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. Why? For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret. What's the deal with interpretation? That the church may receive edifying. So Paul says, I want you to all speak with tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. Why prophecy? Prophecy edifies the church. He said, because greater is the prophesier, not the prophet, but the prophesier, than he that speaks in tongues. Why? Because the prophesier is edifying everybody. But you can, if you're a tongue talker, you can be on par with the prophesier, one who prophesies, if you interpret, because the interpretation is the equivalent of prophecy. It's two different ways of the Holy Spirit saying something supernaturally. Brother Hagin used to say, prophecy is a dime, and tongues and interpretation of tongues are two nickels. They equal the same thing. And so, praise God, we can pray in tongues, which is prayer, or we can speak in tongues, and that must be interpreted for the edification of the body. We see then that if I'm edifying myself, I don't need the interpretation. I'm just edifying myself. But if I'm going to stop and draw service to myself with tongues, I'm going to have to interpret that so that the church body can be edified. I, do we understand that? All right. This verse demonstrates the two types of tongues. The tongues that edifies the individual believer and the tongues that edifies the body of believers. But for tongues to edify the local body, it must be interpreted. So the following is an exposition I've done on, on verse 5. Just to kind of break it down. Paul said, I would that you all spoke with tongues. This is talking about personal tongues. Why? Well, because it edifies the individual. Paul already established that in verses 2 and verses 4. He wants us all to speak in tongues because tongues edifies the individual believer. How does it do that? By speaking mysteries to God through the Spirit. He goes on in chapter 14 to say, when I, when I speak, my understanding is unfruitful, howbeit in the Spirit I'm speaking mysteries. My spirit prays. 
All right? He said, but rather that you prophesied. Why? Paul, why would you rather we prophesied? Well, because prophecy benefits everyone present, not just the individual. Unless, of course, what happens if you have a Hispanic person here who doesn't speak English? Then even your prophecy needs an interpretation. What if you have a deaf person? Everything you do needs an interpretation. What if somebody comes in who's unlearned, who's Chinese? We, we, back in, when I was in college here, we had all sorts of uh, foreign students come through here who didn't speak hardly any English. And one of the stories Brett and I still joke about is after a service where Pastor Vaughn flowed in the gifts, it was a wild service. Actually, that Chinese kid fell out and was stuck under this chair here for a long time, shaking under the power of God. The other kid, the other Chinese kid sat back there with Miss Joanna sitting, and he said, why am I shaking so violently? I can't stop shaking. This is the power of God. But one of the Chinese kids came up to Brett after service and said, um, um, Brett, he was a Chinese exchange student, um, what does mean habalakishi fulakashata? He didn't memorize a whole line of tongues. Uh, Brett, I'm sure, said, I don't know, I don't know, it's tongues. What does it mean? I don't know what it means. Only God knows what it means. <laughs> so even when we speak in English, it still needs an interpretation sometimes, and we don't fight for that. You just say, God, help them. You know, help the Hispanic guy, help the Chinese guy, help the Indian in our church, help, help whatever, whoever came in. I went on a mission trip one time with the Southern Baptist Convention to Chile. The whole service was in Spanish. I never stood up and demanded an interpretation. This is confusion. I don't have a clue what they're doing. Yeah, I do. They're worshiping Jesus. I can feel it. I can see it. None of the Baptists I was with demanded an interpretation either. They understood. We're in a Spanish-speaking country, and they're not going to cater to just us. All right. Next point, greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks in tongues. Why? Because prophecy helps more people than tongues. Next point, accept the interpret. Why? Well, because interpretation makes tongues the equivalent of prophecy. Final point, that the church may receive edifying. Why? Why are you saying these things, Paul? Because this is one of the key purposes of every church service, building up the local body of believers. So then, we very clearly see two different types of tongues manifest in the New Testament church. One for the personal edification of the individual believer that does not require an interpretation, and one that must be interpreted if a local body is to be edified. And I will add just as a concluding remark, there is a tremendous difference, even in the spirit, even in the way it sounds, of a tongue that is the gift of the spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, that requires an interpretation. It's going to have an interpretation following than just your everyday average, and I don't mean to say everyday average, but just your, your prayer language, as we call it, but just praying in the Spirit. There's a difference. If you've ever operated in tongues and interpretation of tongues, you can tell a difference. In one of them, you got a flashlight. The next one, you're hooked up to jumper cables, and it's just coming out of you, and you realize something's behind that, and it's going to have to be interpreted. And so that's something you can only understand if you've experienced it, and, and the Lord wants to use all of us in these things. So I, I, my prayer is that as we study these, your heart is built up, your, 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 your wisdom and your knowledge of the scriptures is added to you so you can help discuss stuff. Because there's more Christians out there like me 20 years ago who were raised Baptist or denominational that want more of God, and they're going to come to you looking for it. One question real quick, Mike. Yes, sir. The, the interpretation. If you have a, a tongue and you speak it, and what you're saying is that... If you don't have the interpretation, you're supposed to be silent. I was always told that a tongue, you better have the interpretation. 
No, no, you don't always have to have the interpretation because it says the inter- if there'd be no interpreter present. It doesn't mean the one speaking. So the only thing, if I have a tongue, I'm just, I just need to just speak to God and just have... If you have a tongue and you believe you have something you need to give, the Holy Ghost always makes an opportunity in the service for that. And I endeavor to be spirit-led enough, and I'm pretty good at it with all humility, to recognize this is this time in the service and we, we slow things down. You've seen us do it. I think somebody got something. And the thing is, where we often miss it in our circles is we think because we got it in the first of the service, it has to be given right then. I, the only reason why I'm saying it is because I've always had that fear. That's like God has given me something in services before, and it's like, uh, I don't have the rest of it. If, if you don't have it, I could probably get it, or we got enough other folks here who, could, who, who are experienced enough, they could find it by the Holy Spirit. It's not like you go look under the carpet and there it is, but I mean by... You know, Lord, what? I guess it's just that part of that. Finish reading 1 Corinthians 14. It says, all may prophesy one by one that all may learn. So the gifts of the Spirit are also given that we can learn how to cooperate with God, not just in a church service, but even outside the church services because the gifts of the Spirit operate on the street too. Not necessarily tongues and interpretation of tongues, but everything else does. That's an excellent question. And we can discuss this more because we got uh, three more lessons on this. All right, Father, we thank you for Sunday school this morning. We thank you that we can have 45 long minutes of Sunday school before we have two and a half hours of service. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be one of these modern churches that only handles 25-minute sermons, but even our Sunday schools are double the American average. Father, bless these folks and their Bible time. Let them all be used in the gifts of the Spirit. If they're not Spirit-filled, let them get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We thank you, Lord, for these vital lessons. In Jesus' name, amen.